0: Welcome to the Real Estate Reserve podcast with your hosts Jason Balin and Ian Horowitz. What's up? What's up? What's up, Ian?
1: What's up? I'm supposed to be sharing away, but I'm uh I'm mischiefly doing something else. Uh all right, I'm here. Let's it,
0: go. It, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Uh fun topic. Today, uh, it's it's kind of a question. But before we get into this topic, uh, let's let's circle back. So today is, we'll say Monday, Monday, June 29th, two thousand and twenty. Um, we're still kind of in the middle of a lot of stuff going on, a lot of uncertainties going on. But you know, the good news is, is uh, real estate never really slowed down, and it never really stopped. And so many of us. Uh, real estate investors agents uh, other service providers in the real estate business they've still been going been going strong they've had to adapt uh, a lot of us uh, a lot of people still either work from home or kind of work uh, in a small office uh, I actually did my first closing today uh, in the universal title office in Ellicott City near my house so that made it a little bit easy to shoot down there you know we most of the closings I've been doing have been obviously our loan closings I don't have to attend attend closing. So that's easy. But, um, I sold a property on Monday or I'm sorry, just past Friday that we owned. And I did that all remote as the seller. we sold a a few properties. Um, and this particular one, it was just a refinance, uh, for one of our rental properties that we had with our line. And, uh, it was just easier. They needed both uh, myself and Chris's signature. So it was just easier to head on over there and, uh, hang out with a mean at universal title who we do a good amount of stuff with and just sign everything so that was good you know we uh we did our that was our first masked settlement (laughs) you know you roll in there i got a backwards hat on i got my sunglasses on and then i got a mask on like you can't even you know obviously you know i was with people that i know but like if you don't even uh you know, know who you're meeting with it's kind of a, a an interesting setup
1: yeah well you're uh that's the hardest thing with everything going on but you know what um it is what it is i guess everyone's uh adapting to the temporary abnormal i guess um but that's good that you got out and you got to go do a closing on your own you Got to see people uh i got to see you in person the other week when we were out uh out golfing um so that was fun it was okay. nice to get. actually Golf's been a lot easier now that we uh, all get to ride in our own cart and uh, don't have to shake hands, don't have to pull pins. So that's been fun. Yeah, right.
0: Do um, one of
1: these. Do one of these. Yeah, make it easy. Me and uh, me and Pete shook it out. But dude, so what? Uh, what's been going on? How's your deal flow been during all this? Is it picking back up,
0: or you know, has it been status quo since this whole thing started? Um. So our deal flow has always been strong on the len- on the lending side. Sorry, I was sharing this to a few people. Um, our deal flow has always been uh, strong kind of on uh, on the lending side. You know, still I've seen a lot of opportunities throughout everything. But, you know, the interesting thing is, and I've kind of shared this openly with, you know, internally with our partners and then everyone else who's either watched the show or with you. But it's kind of interesting. I have a really good pulse of what's going on in the marketplace because I get, I talk to a lot of real estate investors all the time and a lot of them come to us to apply for a loan or, Uh, just to pick my brain to see kind of where we're at and what our terms are and what other people are doing there. So like over the last few months, I've really had a a really good sense of what's going on. And just just based on the deal flow, just based on me talking to people, uh, filling out, they fill out loan applications, they call me, I just have a good sense of what's going on. Are they buying flips? Are they buying rentals? Um, What's going on in the DC area? What's going on in the Baltimore area? Obviously we uh, have an office in the Philadelphia market as well. So I see kind of the deal flow there and i would sum it up like this i would sum it up that it's hard to find really good opportunities out there on the buying side let's talk about fix and flips first and then we're going to talk about and then maybe you can jump in and talk about some rental stuff but uh i would say that uh, the numbers are tight for good fix and flip projects do they exist absolutely are they tight absolutely um i, I see some good ones and i see some bad ones and the interesting thing is is you know a lot of the the bigger investors and a lot of the good investors that that do a lot of projects and I shouldn't say good investors, but the higher volume investors that just because you do a lot of deals doesn't mean that you're good at doing deals. Um, but the ones that are doing higher volume, I, I don't see the volume that they're doing anymore. They're just not doing that volume, and I think that they're passing on opportunities because the numbers are too skinny. And then you have somewhat of a newer investor that's hopping in and says, "Wow, this is a great deal. Um, finally, I'm able to get my hands on an opportunity on a deal," and that's because one of the other investors is passing on it and they're looking at this opportunity. And on a lot of times people, you know, people have been overpaying for, for projects, um, you know, ones that that don't know the areas really well for, for a while. And that's a scary thing. And, you know, sometimes I'm the one who has to come in and be like, listen, the reason you need so much cash to close on this particular project is because you're just overpaying for it. You know, you're paying $175,000 for a property that you should have been paying 150 for. And keep in mind, Wholesalers, uh, sellers of, in, of investment properties, um, banks for that matter. Listen, they're going to sell it for, they're going to sell a property for as much as they can get for it, right? So it's not up to them <laughs> to do due diligence for you as the buyer. It's up to you to determine if you're paying a good price for it. So I see tons and tons and tons and tons of deal flow, but I'll tell you that a lot of the stuff that's coming through our desk, I think people are just overpaying for because they're desperate to get a deal. Um, and, you know, they want to kind of jump in and they and they want to find an opportunity. Now, that's not the case for everybody. But I will say that I have seen that more now uh, kind of than I have for the past. And I think a lot of investors justify this to themselves because they, they know it's somewhat of a seller's market right now. And everything's flying off the shelves. Everything that's listed that's halfway decent is selling for at least ask, if not over ask. You can ask any real estate agent. They'll state the same thing as long as it's a halfway decent asset. And I think that investors, some investors have in their head of, hey, if I buy this for this, it's going to sell it. You know, normally it would sell for this, but I think I could push it to this higher and higher and higher. And that's kind of a scary thought.
1: Well, as you guys can tell, Jason is a lender by trade, and you can see how conservative he is in his nature. Uh, I don't disagree with some of his points, uh, but what I would like to say, you know, as an operator type, is that I do think deals exist out there. And I think there's a chance for people to go out and buy stuff. I think where the confusion lies, and I think this is what maybe is coming, the underlying tone with Jason is, um, is that things are flying off the shelf. So when you look at it, you're like, yeah, that's a deal that I wouldn't do. But people are buying because people are like, oh, the interest rates are only 3%. So they can afford more, which is causing people to pay more. Um, And everyone's saying there's this fury. But at some point, this fury is going to stop. Um, You know, we don't really do fix and flip anymore. I know I've spoken to a few people that I know that do it. Um, I just recently had a conversation with Steve Cavanaugh, uh, who we had on here. He said he can't keep any inventory in stock. It's flying off the shelf. I think what it comes back to um, and something that Jason hit on is that make sure you understand your numbers, make sure you understand the deal, make sure you understand what it's gonna take to get this deal across the finish line. What are you gonna do if interest rates skyrocket overnight, right? Like there's a lot of things that you need to be cautious of. I do think uh, now's a good time to make money in fix and flip. Um, It's not a preferred business model for myself, Um, but I do think there's money to be had out there. However, the risks that you're willing to take, the length of the project, I think anybody that can compress the timeline of their project, is going to win anybody that can keep their cost to a minimum obviously always is going to win um, anybody that's putting out a product that's going to sell faster than everybody else i was talking to rj the other day he was telling us that they're getting multiple offers in like 72 hours um i witnessed dan's sister she was up at our creek house uh she's a realtor up in philadelphia they had so many offers they finally said that's it this is the deadline you're in or you're out you know yeah. um so it is an interesting time I know a lot of people, you know, economists alike are having issues understanding how the market is continuing to do so well when we have so much, quote unquote, uh, crazy stuff going on, you know. So you do need to be cautionary of the fluff out in the market. Um, And in the end, I think we're both saying the same thing. Understand your numbers, understand how you're going to get the deal done and keep it moving, you know.
0: And I think it actually and and I do agree. I think it is a good time to buy picks and flips, ones that are number one. At your current experience level, right? Uh, if this is your first fix and flip, I wouldn't be doing a gigantic construction project. I'd be in a, a an area that you can get an easy renovation done uh, and get it done quickly and on the market. But I do believe that there's good opportunities there. I see them, but I don't believe that they're falling in people's laps. I don't believe that someone could go on MLS and find a property and say, hey, uh, this has been on the market for 30 days. Uh, it seems like a good price. I should buy it. You know, a lot of people are not doing proper due diligence and that's always the case. I mean, there's there's market cycles that deals will fall on your lap. You can jump on MLS, you you put out a bandit sign and someone's going to call you and, and they're going to sell it for a fair, reasonable win-win deal. I don't see that happening that much right now, but I still have seen a heck of a lot of good deals. And some of them are on, on MLS and some of them are off MLS. But again, it's just like deal flow with it, with anything. If you have 10 leads this week and you have to choose one of them, right? You're going to choose the best deal that you have. So, you know, if you have 10 10 sellers or 10 off-market deals or 10 uh, MLS deals and you have to pick one, like the the numbers aren't great. People forget they got to put in the hard work. You know, imagine if you you had 50 leads this week and you could pick one. I'm guessing that one deal is going.
1: Jason, am I here by myself? What did he do? I don't know. Are we still alive? We're still alive. Jason was going. I don't know what the heck he did to me. He left me hanging here. I'm right here. I'm, I'm, I'm right here. Um, but, you know, something that is interesting that I will, I'm sorry, I'm watching myself in, in real time behind here. Um, but something, that you know, a lot of people need to be Um, that's about to change right now is the fact that there is not another source of inventory besides what we're putting in the market banks are about to start being able to do foreclosures again. They have backed up inventory. Are they going to flood the market? Is it going to drop prices? Is there is there an inventory crunch? A lot of things are are um, about to potentially change because the economy is, quote, unquote, opening back up. Um, these are all things that you need to watch and you know things that you can't predict that three months ago, you're like, oh, this is the best time ever. Just like prior to COVID, everyone's like, there's no way anything will crash this economy. No, nothing will ever stop. Boom, COVID hot happens. Everyone's in a panic. After you know, as COVID's going on, everyone's like, "No, no, it's going to go back. It's going to go back." And now, boom, here we
0: are again. Where does it go? You know. So, I agree, and I'm gonna throw Jason Miles' comment on here because uh, I, I, I had, I'm somewhat in agreement with this uh, for the most part. He writes, "I'm staying away from buying rentals now because there's such an uncertainty of refinancing if there's a shutdown again." Great time to jump into flipping. I agree with that too. Lots of uncertainty related to that, and you know, to be honest, a lot of the loans, and we're and we'll talk about uh, kind of what we're seeing for the buy for the uh, buy and uh, fix and, and rent as well. We can segue to that right now, and I agree because I would say there's more loans we're probably doing now that the intent is not necessarily to fix, but the intent is to rent. You know, I would say maybe seventy percent are to to rent and thirty percent, or I'm sorry, seventy uh, percent are fix and flips and thirty percent are fix and and fix and rents, and there is some uncertainty uh, in, in there, especially if, um, I, I mean, I believe banks banks are will always be, I, I believe, will typically there's always going to be capital for this particular uh, uh type of venture in real estate investing, but again. You know, it might not be what you're used to, and it might be higher qualifications than you're used to. At the right credit score, at the at a low enough LTV, and at you know a favorable enough debt service coverage, banks will be in this space. They'll jump. They'll jump in this space. Now, obviously, times were very, very aggressive <laughs> over um, you know up to a few months ago, and and there was a lot of liquidity, and everybody was able to get refinancing on these things. But that's already tightened up. We all know that, and it's going to continue to get tighter. Tighten up. Now I will tell you that, and I'm very vocal about institutional backed private loans compared to banks, hard money lenders. I believe that it's tough to have those lenders in the fix and flip space. I don't know how they can even be in the fix and flip flip space. I don't think they make enough money. And I don't believe that they can underwrite on a national level for a construction project. There's just too many variables to not be a localized company. Now that being said, I do believe that institutional lenders Backed lenders, hard money lenders, whatever you call them, private lenders, whatever it is, um, I do believe they should be in the long-term rental loans. I, I, I do. Um, I think there's money to be there. I think it's easier to underwrite. Um, I, I absolutely. I always have believed that there should that there should always be plenty of capital available on a rental property. And that doesn't necessarily mean 100% LTV of a rental property. What I mean by that is, you know, get yourself a good equity position, maybe a 70%, right? So value is a hundred thousand dollars let's say rents out for a thousand bucks a month and uh institutional backed so you know something wall street backed or something cheap capital backed gives you a 70 percent ltv deal and if you buy it at a good price um and it's rented out then you need less cash into the deal if you buy it at retail uh you have to put more cash into the deal and you know the numbers still potentially work i've i've always believed that there should be a, a good product for that and i know that product kind of disappeared although obviously there's signs um and and people stating that th- those products are back now um so hopefully income producing rental properties will continue to stay because i'll tell you there's a lot of deals that don't work for fix and flips but they do still work for rentals they're still decent uh, what looks to be on the surface decent rental properties out there and I mean, I know Ian. You you kind of switched your focus to you know some larger projects, and uh, you know you already have a good bucket of of single family rentals. But uh, I, I'm guessing that you probably still see maybe not home run opportunities, but opportunities that that still would fit your investing model.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I think there's there, there's deals out there. Um, you know, prior to this, we we had slowed down. Probably, I would say almost eight months prior to this, we were slowing down just because deals were compressing so much. Debt wasn't that good. Um, you know, I'd like to comment towards Jason is that there is debt options out there. We're actually in the process of refinancing our entire portfolio with a local bank, um, and they're more than happy to do it. And it's a new relationship. Um, <clears throat> so that being said, the, the deals are out there. Um, the banks are out there, uh, and I do think you can find deals that fit in your wheelhouse. Um, again, it comes back to knowing your timeline, knowing your project, knowing what you want to get done and knowing how you're going to refinance it over and over and over again. Um, and I think now more than ever, and I think we discussed this and we've hammered this point home over and over and over again, is n- there is no better time than now to completely understand your business model. Um, whether it's been that you, you've taken it and broken it all apart and rebuild it during this time, um, or you've explored what works and what doesn't, you know, there's been plenty of downtime. And I, I'd i like to say that this market's coming roaring back in the way that there's going to be a massive rollout of properties and inventory. There's going to be a massive rollout of tenants. There's going to be a massive rollout of evictions. There's a lot that's about to happen in a very short period of time. That's going to flood the market. The question is, how are you going to handle it? Um, to what you're saying in regards to looking at bigger Projects, it's just it's worked in our advantage to what we have, and we knew that. That sure we have cut our teeth on small projects, but after a while, you see the economies of scale, and say, okay, well, we can do this really well. Why not dedicate our 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 um, services or dedicate what we're good at to a larger project and really hit a home run? Um, but it's all relative. It all goes back to understanding your. I think in the core of it, you know, everything we're talking about today. It all goes back to understanding your business model. And if you don't understand your business model, what you're good at, what you're not good at, none of this exists. You don't exist as a lender. I don't exist as a rental operator. Uh, we don't even sure. sit here
0: today and talk to anybody about what our beliefs are, you know? Sure, yeah, so if anyone wants to comment related to how they're personally seeing deal flow if they're a real estate agent or if they're a real estate investor, buy and hold investor, fix and flip or another lender, whatever it is, curious your thoughts even if you're not in a local market. I'm curious your thoughts on the market. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it the same? Is it, has it been, has it been the same? Um, I mean, we are good, we, go ahead.
1: I was just gonna say, you know, and the reason we've landed on some larger projects is I think recently there's been a time that, you know, I think a lot of people were holding on and saying, Oh, another year, another year, another year. I think COVID struck a nerve. Everything that's going on in the world has struck a nerve with some people just to say, I want to change. I want to sell. I want to do this. I want to do that. Life's too short, whatever it may be. Um, there has been some interesting inventory coming across the desk. Um, and a lot of the reasons are the same. You know, people want to retire or people are going through this or they're going through that. I think COVID helped exploit some of those things for some people. And has really sped up the process, and I, I think there's going to be more and more good inventory coming about.
0: Yeah, I mean, what you said earlier is, you know, who's going to be prepared and when? Where's it going to come? You know, prepared in both ways. You know, that is somewhat of a scary thing. Um, and as inventory comes up, I and mean, you're talking about inventory for real estate investors to buy, you know, buy and fix and buy and rent, right? Okay, not not inven- You know, not to selling inventory quickly like the current weird seller's market we're in now. I mean, I I don't know what will happen. I mean, obviously for that to happen, there has to be some sort of softening in the market and enough pain in the market, which doesn't now before that before that currently happens. So not that I know what's going to happen. You know, the, the, the second you think you know what's going to happen is the time that you're going to get kicked in the ass. It's that simple. As soon as you think you have something figured out, you're going to trip and fall and get hurt. Um, so... You know, every every day is kind of a learning experience and every day, you know, we're kind of taking it um, and and everybody should be and be like, okay, well, uh, you know, where are we at now and stuff? Maybe I bought a property for one hundred thousand dollars today. Maybe tomorrow I'll pay one ten. Maybe the next day I'll pay 90. Right. You know, you have to adjust um, and you got to be you got to be in the trenches every day to kind of understand and to try to figure out kind of the the best options. But if I had to guess going back to that, (laughs) if I had to guess, I would say that this seller's market where we're at is going to stay where it's at probably through the summer, probably through uh, the early fall. And then I'm a little nervous that this whole thing is just going to implode overnight. Everything, the floors is going to drop from under us. And if that happens, that is a scary thing. When When COVID hit, it actually was it actually didn't really like overnight, at least in the real estate, it, it, you know, affected a lot of people in a lot of industries, but at least in like the real estate industry. Yeah. It was hard to go buy projects over here, but guess what? Over here we were able to sell projects for more. Right. And over here, yeah, the projects were harder to find, but the interest rates were lower. Um So the interest rates being low has helped so much. Now keep in mind, the very interesting thing with all of this, and when we do our, our we do a Monday morning huddle up for our entire team and our entire office over Zoom, and one of the uh, the interesting things that came up is, is somebody in my office was like, you know, we still have all these job reports that are coming out on a regular basis, and you know the uh, you know and there and the unemployment is getting higher and higher and higher and higher, right? It's getting higher. Benefits eventually are going to start going away um you know government money is eventually going to go away so what's going to happen with that and it's true so it's like hey real estate's good interest rates are low things are selling um not business as usual but like the the market's good but then at the same time you have unemployment over here that's at an all-time high and it just keeps it keeps increasing um and there's an argument related to you know depending on what type of uh asset classes you invest in who's more affected and who's not affected um, related you know, related to that but at the same time like interest rates all of a sudden if those just go up a tick and another tick and another tick and another tick the next thing you know you know they're back to you know 4% and then up to 5% or whatever the case is like guess what all of a sudden the market softened <laughs> and and prices go from $200,000 down to you know $190,000 for the same house or $180,000 for the same house um, so that that you know that happens quickly that happens a lot that happens a lot quickly and again typically what happens is hey things are going good things are going good things are going good and like you can absorb that and again if they went down like this let me get right here if they went down like this that's okay too but but if it goes like this and then down like this then back up and then down like this if you're in that wrong part of that cycle you are you are screwed unless you are prepared so i, I would guess that Things will continue to stay stay solid until early fall. And then s- somewhere around kind of election time, I'm guessing that interest rates will probably increase. Consumer confidence will get more not confident. And I don't know. We're going to see what happens. We got some questions here, too. But go ahead, Ian.
1: Um Yeah. No, I would say that that's how a lot of people from 2012 to 2016 probably stayed afloat because the market continually went up. And then there was some softening. There were some interest rate issues. There was some confusion that um, slowed a lot of people down. I'd love to answer uh, Joe's question if you want to pop it up.
0: Yeah, you do, Joe. I'll do Jones.
1: So Joe's question is, can you guys talk about some of the deals you've done lately and flip as well as buy and hold and what type of financing et cetera. so currently i haven't done anything uh, on a single family level uh, we did recently right at the end right when covid started we finished up a warehouse that we wound up selling um, that was successful even though all that was going on um, and we were able to close it uh, we also bought a 76 unit apartment building during all this um, and that was actually set up with owner financing um, and we're involved in another storage deal, um, again, with owner financing. Uh, so everything we've seen recently it is now is a good time to leverage financing um, from sellers, either holdbacks of a first or a second, um, because you know it's very easy to explain the uncertainty of the market, wheres it going, what's gonna happen. Um banks are tough to get money from right now. I think there's a huge opportunity for that. Joe also, um, we're in the process of refinancing our portfolio. You know, there are banks out there lending. You know, people ask me all the time, how do you know all the banks? It's I literally like once a quarter pick up the phone, pound the phone with all the banks and kind of just shop them and say, hey man, like what's going on? You know, we're interested. I don't I don't know we're in the market today, but what do you guys got going on? Just to know what's going on. I think if you pound the phone, depending what market you're in, I'm sorry, I'm not sure where you're from, just pound the phone, you will find a bank to finance you. Furthermore, if you're doing direct marketing, I believe there's owner financing deals out there. Um, and I believe you can get them done relatively easy right now with everything going on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I th- there's always capital. There's always capital in this space. It's not gonna be given out. <laughs> capital was given out, it was very cheap, and it was very high leverage until COVID over the last few years. That's, that's probably gone. So I wouldn't go into a deal expecting 100% financing. You're probably gonna need 20-30% towards the purchase price or something like that. So, you know, again, get your resources together, figure out if you need to partner with somebody else, um, figure out if you can do it yourself. You know, in the past, you might have been able to do two or three projects at the time. Now you might only do one project, you know, one project at the time based on financing, you know, the capital markets make it sometimes sometimes dictate, uh, you know, how much you know, your ability of how, how many projects you can do and, and how it's set up. But listen, I'm a big advocate of putting skin in, into deals, not just because I'm a lender and wear an underwriter hat. I think it's important. I think it's important. If you do a ninety, if you were doing a ninety percent purchase and hundred percent construction loan with one of those institutional back lenders, and deals and deals start, you know, the deal starts going sideways and the market starts going sideways, you're in a tough predicament. You're in a tough spot. It's going to be hard to get out of that. If you have 25, 30% into that deal, all of a sudden, you know, you have more wiggle room and more equity for worst case scenario. You got to manage risk. That's this whole game is about managing risk. I'm not saying don't go all in and and try to, you know, make this thing, you know, make it work on it, but like you got to be careful. So, um, let me but but banks are but banks are lending, hard money lenders are lending, private investors are lending, 401k and self-directed IRA lenders, they, there's capital out there. You want all right. So let me jump into John's. Uh, so, so, John, good question. As a newbie, in your opinion, should I start with a small fix and flip or buy and hold? So I would say either, but let me let me state what on a, uh, It'll depend on your situation. So I, I, I'm a big. I'm always big about small fix and flips in general. When I, when we look at a deal, let's say we have a potential deal, we look at what's going to happen if we wholesale it. What's going to happen if we take it down and immediately put it on MLS? What's gonna happen if we put some lipstick on a pig in it? You know, real quick renovation, and what are we gonna do if we fully renovate it, right? Because let's be honest, a big thing that a lot of people don't realize is let's say you can wholesale a project right now for $20,000 and take on no risk, or you have to do a full Mac Daddy renovation and make $40,000 in six months or nine months from now. So many people want to do, make the extra money, but then they take on so much more risk and so much more time. It doesn't work. Most of the deals that we've done, and obviously we're a, we're a lender, that's the majority of our business model. But but every once in a while, we get deals that kind of you know fall in our lap from contacts that you know don't have the resources to, to do the deal or just want to pass it on. We look at it in, in a few different aspects, and most of the time, we're either doing a wholesale or we're buying it. Um, you know, getting a contractor in there to do like less than five thousand dollars worth of work and putting it right back on, on MLS at least to try it just to see if we can kind of get some offers in. And then if we can't, then we move it um, and do and do a full renovation on it. But uh, I'd rather make half the much money now uh, and then move on to the next deal. The whole game is just moving on to the next deal and moving on to the next deal. So, uh, I, and, and I'll tell you, deals that default in our portfolio so as a as in general, are the ones with the bare construction projects. There's, you know, if you're a newer investor, you want to stick to some sort of smaller construction project. And I'm not saying that you can't handle a larger construction project, but there's more risk. There's more time. There's more risk. Try to stay on a small one if you can. Um, I think buy and hold is fine. That being said, if you want to be a buy and hold investor, you got to have good credit so you can get a bank refinance at the end of the game. Um, you got to have cash reserves. Um, and I would potentially say you might even want more kind of liquidity for a buy and hold than anything else. I mean, every deal that anybody does, especially at the beginning on paper, it's going to be smooth sailing. It's going to look good. <laughs> right. But then as soon as you buy that deal and you take it down, there's going to be some small speed bumps and some big speed bumps. And there's going to be everything kind of coming in that road to knock you down. So just remember that. Uh, I, I, if I had any piece of advice for anything for a new investor, I'd say do one project. Do one project at a time. See it completely through. As Soon as that thing's done, then you move on to the next one.
1: John, I, I have a point, and a lot of people are going to be very surprised by this comment coming out of my mouth, out of everybody on this show and everybody that knows me. But as a new investor right now with the current market conditions, your number one goal, your number one goal is to hit a single. That's all that's all that matters right now is hit a single get out of the batter's box. Don't strike out. Don't walk. Just hit a single. Don't worry about hitting a home run. Get your deal done. Make sure it goes smoothly. And then you'll start to begin to understand what your next step in the process is. Um, It's uh, it's very important that you do that first deal right, because it's going to set you up for your next ones. Um, It's very hard to hit a home run, whether you've been in this business for 10 15 20 years or you're a brand new investor it all looks good on tv but take your time make sure you know what you're doing right and to comment back with what we were talking with joe um and jason was uh, referring to is having equity in the deal that's going to allow you to have more number one more drive to make sure the deal is successful because you have more money at risk number two the other thing that's going to do for you you know, a lot of people look at stocks and they're like, oh, whatever, I'm taking a loss. And they just sell them off and they don't really think about it because it's a hundred bucks or it's 200 bucks or it's a few grand. When you have that money committed as equity, it gives you that room to a number one, sell it off. If you're jammed up, number two, you know where you're standing and how much money you have committed. You know, you're putting twenty five thousand dollars out on a deal. That's some big money to be putting at risk and losing. it. Um, so having that capital committed to the deal makes it. Um, that much more, it gives you that much more ownership in the deal above and beyond what you already have. And I I think it will help you succeed even further. Um, And Joe, I see Jason's got that one up. Yeah, that that deal was a home run. It was teed up when we got there. All we had to do was come in and and literally, (laughs) we were basically a pinch runner. Like it, it was that easy. We didn't really have to do anything, so uh, we'll do it. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. I mean, you you worked hard on that deal. Like you do it every deal Like you got the thing is, the guy teed up the first part of the deal. You know what I mean? Like he teed up the seller was ready to go. You
0: know. I understand, but it, like we still had the credibility of being involved and in doing stuff and understanding the business model. I mean, that's like that's like saying like, hey, one of, some of the biggest real estate investors locally, you know, use me to do funding, doing lending. And it's like, yeah, but you know, I put in the hard work for a long period of time in order right. to build ability to do deals with them.
1: Uh, I'm trying, leave me alone. I'm trying to be humble. But either way, we'll do a case study on that. That one. is humble.
0: That is being humble.
1: We'll we'll, uh, we'll do a case study on that one some, sometime okay. in the future, once yeah. we get that ball rolling a little bit deeper and have proof of concept. So we'll, we'll keep you posted on that one. Um, but I think in the grand scheme of things, man, there's deals out there. You just got to know what you want, where you want, where you want to be. And what's your direction? What's your future? You know, um, if you can define all those things, I think right now it's a, it's a good time to be hit singles. There's deals out there. Disregard everything else that's going on in the world. Put your head down and concentrate on you. You know, um, yeah. it's funny, I've been that book, A Happy Pocket Full of Money or whatever the one that Dan Schwartz recommended. You know, and it talks a lot about and Jason, I think I've had this discussion with you is like we go to Russell Brunson's conference every year and you're like, oh, look at this guy. A hundred million dollar company. And in like four years, you're like, dude, some people are just chosen, you know, but really it comes down to is if you hyper concentrate on what your goal is, I believe you can achieve it very easily. So, John, if you want to get out there and do your first fix and flip, hyper concentrate on it and get it done and you will succeed.
0: Wait, wait, wait. Uh, You're talking about. You know, Russell did a podcast on that exact concept today. Is that why you just thought of no, that? I was reading it in that book. That's what it talks about. It talks
1: about manifesting and hyper-concentrating on what you want to get done. And if you have an I am statement, you will achieve to that I am level. Is that what he was talking about today?
0: No, not that. Well, no. This is, this this is, is all about being what he chosen? chosen? No, no, no. He, his headline was, here's the secret to getting noticed. And then it was, I'll just skim this. He said, um, people hear about click funnels and they immediately identify me for creating this company that makes over a hundred million dollars a year um, when we were only in business for six years. But what it doesn't mention is that I've been in the, in the internet marketing business for over 18 years. You know, so-and-so grinding my little tail off and butt and losing every day and every day and just being just losing, 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 losing. Some win, some loses. So, yeah.
1: But yeah it, you know what's interesting? He kept his what, head down and he knew what his goal was and what he wanted. I know. To he kept. And going. then,
0: and then, yeah. And he kept fighting. I mean, that's what that's what it was. I mean, when I've been rereading some of these Robert Kiyosaki personal finance books, it was the same thing. It was like that's, you know, the, the difference. You know, one of the reasons why. And he wasn't bad mouthing straight A students, but it was very interesting what he said because he compared straight A students to. Um, entrepreneurs and business owners that were successful that just weren't good students. And he said, he just had and and, and his thought process was the difference between some failing, you know, who knows how to deal with failure and who's failed the most compared to who succeeded the most. And he was like, a lot of the, the, the students who were good at school and, and had good grades. And obviously like he didn't decredit how hard they worked. That was important. But the difference was, is, you know, they, they weren't used to failing and they didn't want to fail. Right. So they continued to work hard. So they didn't fail. And on some of these other, some of these other students, they would just fail over and over and over and over and over. And, you know, in business owners, you don't, you don't typically learn from success. You learn more from failures and, you know, you put yourself in a situation of like, I never have want want to have this conversation with the seller again. That was so uncomfortable. Or I never want to have to foreclose on a property uh, again, or I never want to, I don't know, do whatever, you know, I'm never going to make this mistake hiring this contractor that was unlicensed again. And it's just failing, 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 failing. And then, you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard to teach that on paper, right? You gotta, you gotta be the ones that, that do that. I mean, you know, you've learned a lot over the years, um, related to, you know, when you buy it, in your portfolio and what tenants, you know, I'm sure there's tenants that'd be like, listen, like, I can't put this tenant in there. It's just, it'll be deja vu. it will be the same thing. I mean, you might bust my balls for why we're conservative about lending, but it's like, I've done 3000 loans. I've had lots that have gone good, good, that have gone good. I've got deals that have gone bad over the years. Um, and I learned from them, right? I learned from those mistakes and I want to make sure I never make those mistakes again, cause it's, it's not worth it. And let me tell you, you know, if, if, so, you know, one of the worst things you could possibly do as a real estate investor is if, if you're out there raising capital and you potentially lose somebody's capital, like that's not a good feeling that you want to be in. So you have to, you know, you, you have to do whatever you can to make. It's not just about doing a deal. Right? Like you, there's a lot of people on the line. There's, there's a seller on the line. And if you tell them you're going to buy a property at a certain date, you know, they're reliant on you to buy that property at a certain date. You know, you have, you have, you know, contractors that have to be taken care of. There's so many people in the mix, right? Like there's a dozen people in the mix on every single real estate deal. So like, I don't, I'm not saying this, that people should shy away from doing deals. They absolutely should. And they should dig, dig in. But like you, you, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of families involved in these, in these projects. So you got to make sure you do whatever you can to make sure everyone's taken care of.
1: Yeah, man. Well, I hope it was helpful for everybody. And uh, if you want to talk further? Ian at Equity Warehouse, I'm around. Um, I will gladly entertain
0: anybody that wants to reach out. Dude, now that we can, uh, you know, edit these things, we can just put our email addresses right by our names.
1: Oh shit! Well, I didn't know that. I'm not in control. I'm just here to. T- I'm. I'm. Wait, here. where? I'm the entertainer.
0: Right. Where is our names on here? I don't even see them anymore.
1: No, you, Joe. You got. You still, there. You go. Oh, yeah, see, there you go. God Jeez. dang. well the up there. So. There we go. <laughs> Equity Warehouse. Well, for those at there home, you can reach out Ian at EquityWarehouse.com. Um, I can't guarantee I'll reach back immediately, but, uh, you can always reach out. Happy to talk about current deal flow and what the current marketplace
0: looks like. Absolutely. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed the show and we will touch base with you soon. If you need anything, feel free to reach out and happy to help. Thanks for tuning in to the real estate reserve podcast. Do us a favor and like comment and share our broadcast. It helps the algorithm and helps us spread the word too. Till next time, thank you for tuning in.